This is Entheogen, talk about tools for generating the divine within. Today is December 9th, 2015, and we are very excited to feature part two of an interview with Earth and Fire Arrowhead. Guys, I have to mention that uh, one of the things that uh, that most stood out to me in the article, and I, I don't know, I, I didn't know your personal story, so I wasn't expecting to see it, but when I think back to my own life and, and experimentation with entheogens, I think perhaps the biggest entheogenic experience I had was going to Burning Man for the first time. And uh, I guess I was just uh, pleasantly surprised to see that also in the article that, uh, was it 95 the first year you attended? Yep, it was basically the same year that we that we uh, started Arrowhead. Oh wow! Well, it was it was in the midst of the process, so so we we, you know, you kind of have to make up exactly what the anniversary dates are. We have we have uh, October as as yeah. 1995 as when the site kind of went public. public, but so we had been working on it prior throughout throughout since basically the beginning of 1995 so we had been working on it we hadn't yet published it publicly and and went to burning man in whatever that would have been august yeah wow yeah and, and what's uh you know it just a just a quick uh, recollection of uh of 1995 like i mean my my first year was until 2007 i believe so I, I can't even imagine yeah well it's it was it was Two thousand two thousand two thousand seven is Eclipse Man Manburn early year, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that was awesome. Oh, oh, that, was, that was that was that was it was it's difficult to go back, honestly, after that. I mean we have, but it's uh that was so great. Um It's like a fine wine. You you rate your Burning Man years. Two thousand seven, yeah. that was a great oh, year. My God. Wow. <laughs> the eclipse was crazy. So anyway, um so, so the first thing is that in 1995 we were going. I think the New Yorker maybe mentioned yeah, this a did, little bit, but we were we were going camping with some friends in the Sierra Nevadas up near Tahoe, and on the way um, in our VW bus camper camper van. Um, so so we were a little bit of hippies. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, they, the, the, our friend said brought out a flyer for Burning Man. We'd never heard of it, and said, "Let's go to this instead." So we were completely unprepared for going to the middle. I mean, completely unprepared for going to the middle of the <laughs> desert. We didn't. We had like a sheet with us, which we ended up using as shade. Um, uh, but it, but there was there was there were no roads. There was no there were porta potties, but otherwise there was no infrastructure really at all. Yeah. Uh, there, they, you know, the largest art that that art art projects that were there were really um there there was uh, I wasn't actually there I was asleep at the time but Earth Earth describes going off in the in the in late in the, in the night one night and seeing um scaffolding oh. built there was it was like three high scaffolding and that was the tallest thing there was there it was like the big wow. thing they had yeah. a swing hanging between two sets of scaffolding I think actually yeah so they, I think they called it New York camp, New York camp and there were the twin towers at the time you know a little sad now but the um, but it was a scaffold, you know, sca- like three-story scaffolding, which is nothing. Right? Well, you could climb up it and you look around. And look around, which was nice. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, there's the fire lingam and there was the man, which were the two um, bigger, actual big pieces of you know, kind of art that was provided by the by the by the Burning Man people. But um, I mean, I I spent so I spent sitting on the top of of one of the twin towers in New York camp um I was I, I sat with a little notebook and tried to count right tried to estimate the number of humans that were there and it was a morning on sa- Saturday night so Sunday morning before the man burned man burned on Sunday at the time um and you know I came up with a rough estimate of about 3000 total humans who who were there and um it was you know it was just kind of there were some kind of laid out roads a little bit but it was it was like a 
there was a center area where you were not allowed to park in. <laughs> and then there was an area around the firelingham and man that you weren't allowed to kind of a V that you weren't allowed to park in, but kind of, otherwise it was just sort of cars everywhere and tents everywhere. And, um, so, you know, so how, how would you feel about, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I've, I've been going every year since 2007 and, and you run into the occasional, uh, purist who is uh, constantly disappointed in the direction things have gone. Uh, but it, it certainly sounds like the, the, the art scene has exploded. The projects have exploded. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, it's a different thing now than it was in 1995. We were, we were a, a bit, um, uh, we had, we had warning that ahead of time, um, because of an interesting story. So we were living in the redwoods South of San Francisco and our landlords, had a house guest. They, they lived on the same property in a different house and they had a house guest come sometime. When, when did, when was it? So it was just after we went. It was just after we had gone our first year. So 95. So it would have been in, in the fall of 95 and, sh and we were describing in front of our landlords and, and their house guest, our experiences at Burning Man. We were so excited. Oh my God. It was so exciting. <laughs> and, and she described that she had gone to Burning Man on the beach in San Francisco for a whole bunch of years, but, but, but that she had stopped going long ago because it had gotten too large. She said there were people there that she had, didn't, that she didn't even know. <laughs> Imagine that's that. Amazing. <laughs> that's how we feel about our camp. Yeah, exactly. And so, so we definitely had the, the knowledge, the foreknowledge that it was going to continue growing and it was going to be changing. And it, you just have to kind of not be attached to what it was your first year. Cause it's like unlikely to stay like that in the future, but it is. It, yeah. The fact, is. the fact that our, our first year, you know, we already had somebody who was, you know, qu had quit going a couple of years earlier because it had gotten too big kind of, put a rein on our whining about that same thing as it ha as that experience happened to us. Um, I mean, I think, I think that it's, it's actually a fairly, like my relationship to that, que the question you ask and the idea of sort of what I want Burning Man to be and, and what it is and all that is, I think it's actually really interesting. And it's, it's, you know, I, we had ideas and things that we like uh, ideas about Burning Man and things that we liked about Burning Man from the mid nineties that were very difficult to let go of, you know, like the, you know, the, and I would continue to actually criticize Burning Man or, um, for not changing some of the rhetoric that, you know, I don't, I, I, I react negatively to the, the radical self-reliance thing because I think that, I think it miscommunicates the situation. I actually would rather have it say, I mean, I, I recognize this is a level of detail that probably no one needs. They have a list of, 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 of these different ideas or sort of ideologies that I don't, I can't remember what the list is called, but yeah, the, the 10 principles, right? Yeah. The Good, 10, 10 principles. principles. So, you know, there's radical self-reliance and then there's whatever the other one is. It's having friends or whatever it is that the, um, <laughs> uh, but, but I actually think that it's kind of more like radical community reliance, you know, like, because in a lot of ways, you you can't go out to Burning Man and not be part of the infrastructure system now. There isn't really there's no way to actually just rely on yourself. I mean, there's there's police and there's there's fire and there's there's roads and there's food and there's porta potties and I mean and a lot of camps have have go the full route and have food plans and and power line the power grid right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so it was it was radical self reliance more twenty years ago, um, okay. and now it's rad radical community reliance. Yeah, sure, I tried the radical self-reliance my first year. It didn't go so well for me. <laughs> I don't recommend that to anyone. <laughs> did you did you carry out your own poop? 
I was, I was, I was close to that. I was close to that. Yeah. 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 And it wasn't by choice either. <laughs> Errors were made. <laughs> so as long as we're uh, sort of like walking down memory lane here, if, if we could um, it, like maybe backtrack a, f- uh, a year or so to um, to uh, like in 94, you guys uh, moved to California. And from the article I learned, uh, Earth, you worked uh, remotely for your dad's tech company. What was that like in 1994? Well, the thing is that the work that we were doing wasn't really web-based, um, and the internet was a fully formed, fully formed beast. If one ignores um, the www, um, and so I, you know, we had chat and email and FTP and other. And we, I was able to remotely mount drives. Most of my work was. Uh, environmental data database management and data conversions. I mean, there are, I don't know exactly how it's too tedious to go into, but, um, weather data and groundwater data and ocean data and stuff like that turned into 3d data sets. And then, you know, you try and process them as fast as possible and make predictions and things like that and track, track disasters and stuff. Um, uh, data management training for, for Arrowhead. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, really? Wow. Working remotely was, you know, there were some challenges. There's, there, there are, as we have learned, um, it's hard to have teams of remote people and have uh, have everyone coordinated. It's actually way easier to work on teams that you can see people face to face. There's just an accountability issue, account- accountability issues with running remote teams. That's that's pretty interesting. That sounds pretty sophisticated for uh, for that era too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it occurs to me like the job I had, uh, you know, where, where I was reading Arrowhead all day, um, I was there in person and I still wasn't accountable to, uh, to really anything <laughs> going on. So, um, I guess it goes both ways, but, but that's, that's pretty interesting. Any, um, any upcoming sort of natural disasters you want to let us in on or <laughs> groundwater, groundwater, yeah. Poisoning yeah. Issues. The main, the main stories I have to tell from that time were, were doing work for the, the crazy stories we're doing work for the DOE where, you know, like we're trying to set up uh, disaster management kind of predictive, predictive systems for, you know, accidental, accidental releases of nuclear waste. Right. Um, and, and so that there were none uh, approximately. And so that's all good. It wasn't, uh, but setting them up was, uh, was a, a long lesson in the dysfunctionality of m- mega, you know, uh, government projects that, tons of money gets dumped into them and very little gets done over long periods of time. Right. I guess, uh, walking back a f- few more years, um, I, I don't know why we're going backwards in time, but, uh, in any <laughs> case, um, yeah, I, I also learned from the article, uh, that, uh, you both attended new college in Sarasota, Florida, I guess earth, you started in 90, uh, 1987 and fire, you joined a year later. And I was, really interested to learn that um, because I had just uh, been reading Acid Test by Tom Schroeder and realized that uh, Rick Doblin had spent uh, a pretty wild time at New College in the 80s as well. Did you guys have any overlap with Rick? My, my first year was Rick's last year. Um, and, but just, just to be clear, Rick, Rick had started, Rick, Rick was 20 years, 20 years late in finishing his, his undergrad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Undergrad. Um, <laughs> he sounds like my brother. <laughs> That new, new he was college, reading Arrowhead uh, all day. <laughs> <laughs> new College had a had a, a thesis requirement um, uh, that where, uh, a final kind of a senior year project thesis requirement that ended up 
causing a lot of people to kind of walk away from that and then actually take years to come back and finish. The same thing happens in graduate school. A lot of people don't finish graduate school or their PhDs because they can't quite get the thesis together and in and defend their thesis to finish it all off. But well, he also had to contend with um, like you know naked people in the pool, and I mean I learned a lot of interesting stories in wait, uh, wait, reading that you have book. To contend with to contend with naked people. In the pool? <laughs> well, it's a, they provide a little bit of a distraction from like you know writing oh, a dry gosh. thesis. Yeah, right. I think he contended a little bit with them. I, I've never really thought about that particular. I don't know that the way you phrase that is interesting. Yes, there were naked people in the pool. Yes. Well, c- contending with the distraction of, uh, of you know, p- people frolicking in the pool while he's trying to get work done, I guess, is the is the contention. But, um, yeah, it sounded like a pretty wild time. You guys have any stories from that era? No, we didn't use any drugs when we were in college. Yeah, actually, I, I do remember uh, reading that in the yeah. New Yorker article. And I actually, uh, I don't know, I I was exactly the same way. And I think I, it, it, I was very, very cautious and it took me a long yeah. long time of researching before i made any decisions and and actually it was reading your website that uh, slowly led me to those decisions well that's that is fabulous to hear because that's basically exactly i mean it sounds like you were exactly the sort of person that we were and we did a lot of research and wrote it down and put it on web pages and so if that helps somebody else <laughs> then that's <laughs> that's perfect um, definitely new, new college did. was a New College was a was a very interesting place to go to school in in part because it's the, it was it was more radically self-reliant. Uh it was it it nobody made you do anything. And so a lot of people didn't do a lot or finish because because if somebody I mean nobody made you go to class, nobody made you it was a, there were no grades. So it was an, an an a written evaluation system completely. So you would you would actually have an advisor and you make a contract with your advisor at the beginning of each semester that says how many classes you're going to be taking, what classes those are, and that you will have successfully completed your contract if you pass X out of X classes. So often one would take four and have to pass three of them with the idea being that either you might decide that, that you, could, you could start with four and then figure out which one you were going to drop or you're, which one you're going to slack off on and not completely completely finish, but still successfully pass your contract and therefore move on to the next semester. And it didn't matter at all if a, a failed class, as long as you didn't fail a contract, had no impact at all on 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 your your outcome. Sort of like it's like being an NCAA athlete or something like that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Is, is, that, is that what being an NCAA athlete? <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, I think in terms of the uh, you know the, the seriousness and, and and the rigorousness of the uh, the academic schedule. Well, let me let me let me let me let me make clear. It was a very uh, strong academic experience for sure. the people who, for the people who could self manage. I mean the. the a new college at the time, I don't know now, but new, had a fairly high attrition rate because there's a, it's a kind of a, it's a, not everyone thrives in an environment where they're not told exactly what to do. There was a lot of freedom in terms of deciding when and how one got one's work done. And by the time people are kind of in their second, third and third and fourth years, really people were deciding exactly what the hell they wanted to be doing. I mean, I was, you know, we, we designed our own classes in a couple of cases and, and, um, and in, for my third and fourth years, I was mostly just doing self-directed. I mean, I, I had two advisors who would provide me with the kind of 
framework for what they thought I should I needed to include in what I was learning, but I was deciding what it was I was doing, and you know. Yeah, unfortunately, I I, I don't know. Brad and I went to the same school, to Boston University together, and I. Uh, always felt that I did not have that type of education and I didn't even know that it existed until I went to visit uh, my then girlfriend at Reed College in Portland, oh, yeah. Oregon. And I was so blown away by just by, by her college experience. I'm so envious uh, every day. And I, I would spend all my free time there going to her classes because I just <laughs> such a great, great uh, academic environment. And I thought, you know, I was like, this is this is real learning. I feel like I've been... I don't know. I've just been in a. It's a completely different environment. The rest of uh, the rest of my college experience. I remember so, the one uh, the one professor you you mentioned. I remember you you mentioning you know many years ago was uh, somebody we we interviewed on the show, Carl Ruck, um, who yep. coined the term entheogen, or I guess was part of that uh, coining yeah. of the term. Yeah. So it was it wasn't a total loss going to BU. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got I got a podcast out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. So um, where to go from here? Uh, I guess I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, the you had a friendship with uh, Sasha and Anne Shulgin. Um, and uh, I guess you did you did you live near near them? You were part of that sort of community. And I learned again from the New Yorker uh, profile about the Friday night dinners. Um, can you kind of paint a picture for us, bring us into the room a little bit and tell us what the meals were like and how you know who prepared yeah. them, how, how that all worked? So the we so we when we met Sasha and Anne was ninety six ninety six in in Theo Botany conference I think and I think that's right um, and uh, I we were we had we had I, we had just read P Call and um, uh, were it was pr- pretty interesting and meeting Sasha was very impressive. Um, it was one of the things that really struck us was just how b- vi- personable. personable, vivacious and like his ability, like, you know, the crowds of, of, of little, of little druggy of us, of us, a little, us little drug geeks um, crowding, <laughs> crowding around him. Um, and the, the way that he dealt with people was to, you know, I think I can't remember what's in the article or not. Um, but did I say this already that he, he would focus his attention on on the person that he had, that, you know, he's sort of like, okay, this this is the person I'm talking to now, and he would listen, and was interested in, and clearly was excited, like was it was trying to be interested in what the person had to say, even if it was the same exact thing that the previous person had said, and would engage them and would 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 play would be playful and fun and interesting, and it was it was really like there we met a lot of other people, you know, kind of. Uh, famous whatever people at that conference you know whatever micro famous you know these are not they're not global fame people these are drug geek fame um, people and you know they're busy and they're 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 not think they're not they don't really want to talk to the children about you know the um whatever the hell they're asking about and so it was really impressive and so we we really liked him and and we really liked Anne. and so we were living about we were living in the bay area we're about an hour south of san francisco and um they live kind of an half an hour east of san francisco and the fnds the friday night dinners were a kind of a, a roaming potluck you know kind of somebody would say oh i'll host it and then then there was an email list and uh, some people would get phone calls if you know if they weren't on the email list um and it was just, it was just a potluck dinner of people who were interested in and had been connected through one of the 
people in, you know, who was an organizer, you had to be invited, right? Um, and you had to not show up and be high, uh, super high. Yeah, so, so, so. <laughs> there, there were a couple, there were a couple of, of locations that they were held most often, but then they were sometimes, you know, they would, they would, they would move around to different houses. Um, generally the idea, you know, like with most potlucks, people would bring whatever random food that they would have. So there'd be big tables full of desserts and food and casseroles and, you know, potluck, potluck food. Uh, yeah, the, the, and, and a room filled, you know, they were usually at the time that we started going, I mean, they'd been going on for a while before that, but the, qual- the, qual- the quality of them varied a lot by the location. You know, like we, one of the things that we learned, I learned about, about event throwing is you, if you have, if your venue doesn't have the ability to flow, if you have cul-de-sacs or, or dead ends in, 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 in apartments or houses, um, the flow, the, the, the mingling is harder. The mingling doesn't work as well. And so, you know, the, the, you can have fewer people total if you have a, a smaller space with no flow. And so the, the houses that were, that were, they people would have them that had the had better flow and larger indoors and outdoor spaces had were better parties right it's a better it's a better experience and so but they would have they would have somewhere between 40 and 100 people at them uh and and you know the the great thing about them that the the best of them that we went to for a few years they were they were really great there was it was basically a, a crowd of 60 incredibly interesting incredibly knowledgeable people um, uh, uh, you know, knowledgeable about psychoactive drugs, psychedelics. Um, you know, a lot of the, the authors that you would research, know about research, would be research, researchers, people, educators, professors. Um, age range from you know from children, you know, through college students, through PhD students, to you know people in their seventies and eighties. You know, and so it was a really nice breadth of 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 age and and you know kind of uh, experience type, whatever uh, knowledge type. From you know, kind of the experiential people to the to the more academic people, and um, I mean, the conversations were great. I mean, it was that's that's the thing is you sort of kind of walk around agog at the at the level of detail that could be had about about you know Buddhist. Uh, you know, uh, texts, you know, to talk, you know, two people who are, you know, experts in Tibetan Buddhist texts, you know, kind of arguing about the meaning of a specific, you know, passage about whether or not it, the, the blue handled, blue, blue, blue handled umbrella described that this God always carried was, is that a, is that a, you know, is, is that, that a, a philosophy? Re- is that a know, re- reference to a salsa and mushroom? And, you know, and what other texts are there that, wow. you know, that, address that and and then you walk to the next thing and it's a um sasha you know whatever um waving his arms around drawing dirty pictures in the sky you know um talking to some you know chemist uh, or uh, or a researcher who's working on a, a a project that that touches on one of his compounds and um i'm trying to think of sort and basically of, everyone was was interesting at that level uh it was it was they were fantastic yeah it's one, one of the things that i think that is like my first couple of conferences, psychedelic conferences or entheogen conferences that we went to, um, I didn't understand this and it wasn't until kind of after going to a few that really the attendees are often as just as interesting as the speakers, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's really a, a gathering of interested drug geeks, not a, a handful of really interesting people and then a bunch of boring people who've come to watch them. It's, you know, and, and I think that's actually true in a lot of academic conferences as well, is that there are the speakers on the stage, but in a lot of ways, the, the main reason and the point and the, and the value of the thing is the networking that's going on of the people who are the attendees. Yeah, the the uh, hallway sessions, as they call it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yep. 
I actually uh, met you guys once, um, and I do not expect you to remember this, but it was at a conference, the Mind States Conference in uh, Berkeley in, I think, 2003. And uh, you guys had a little uh, sort of table set up. You were also on a panel, I think, about LSD, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that was yeah. that when we had the table next to the bathrooms? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was at the same conference. Uh, I remember. Uh, that was the extent of your meeting? Was like, is that the bathroom <laughs> over there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey guys, nice to meet you. I got to run. <laughs> Yeah, so it, I think I, I remember uh, probably buying a mug or something like that, which I still have, which is awesome, the Arrowhead uh, Words mug. Yeah, um, yeah, those yeah. are good mugs. Yeah, really, really good mugs. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I think I met Stan Groff at the same conference, um, met uh, Anne and Sasha Shulgin as well, speaking of them. Um, and everybody really was super approachable. Um, so you're right, it's it's really the, the place to be if, you, if you're interested in this thing and you want to... Um, you know, uh, just, I don't know, make these contacts and, uh, go talk back to, to the 2003 mind states. Conference. Yeah, go there. Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I have this, uh, really cool relic, uh, from, from that conference. It's, um, it's the, do you remember like the blotter art that was produced for it? It was the 60th anniversary of sure. the discovery oh. of LSD. Yep. And, uh, so I forget who produced the thing. I can't remember it right now, but, um, it's this, uh, blotter, you know, paper, um, yep. with this, uh, printed really, really cool, um, uh, artwork and it's perforated. It looks really cool. And I walked around with this thing and had like everybody sign it. That was oh, my, good job. my good approach. Job. Yeah. Joe, oh, Joe, if you actually, I think if you eat the entire thing, you can go back to the mind States conference in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that's worth it actually. That, but, was uh, produced by, that was produced by John Hanna with the art by Stevie Postman. That's um, right. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a nice that's a nice piece of work he did. John John Hanna got got um, uh, sixty of them sixty of them signed by Albert Hoffman, and and donated twenty of those to Arrowwood. So on our wall, about ten feet away from me, is is the inventor of LSD signed copy of one of those. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Wow. Yeah, his is probably like one of the few signatures I'm lacking. I have both of yours on there. Um, oh, all right, which is pretty cool. And uh, of course. <laughs> Stan and and uh, Ann and Sasha and uh, Alex and Allison Gray were there. Did um, you get Dave Nichols to sign it? Uh, Dave, I don't remember if I got Dave Nichols to sign yeah. it. Yeah, he 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 was loath to sign blotter. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, Ralph Metzner was there. Um, yeah. Oh God, so many. It was like it, it was exactly as you described it. It was just this like gathering of the psychedelicists of the time, you know, and it was just incredible to be among them. Um, and, uh, it, it was at the same conference. I remember walking through the hallways and I, I don't know what made me sort of look at the bottom of my shoe, but there, <laughs> there, was, okay, all right. there was a single, uh, hit, uh, of LSD on the bottom of my shoe. And, uh, we, you know, we, we may or may not have tested it later that night. And, uh, so. <laughs> Off the bottom of your shoe. Nice. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're not fancy. <laughs> Definitely recommend. That, sorry, what, what kind of, did it have a picture on it? Oh, I, I wish I could remember. I should have taken a photo oh, at the time. Yeah. yeah. It was <laughs> crazy times. I, I, I remember one of, one of the weirdnesses of, of running an Arrowhead table is the, the kind of this, the strange drive-bys. Um, so that, that conference, I remember we were in that crowded, crowded little ho- corner the hallway next to the bathrooms. And, and I saw this young, well, I was, you know, young myself, whatever, but, uh, you know, in his 20, in young twenties and he walked up and picked up one of the books we had sitting on our table and then gave me this funny look and set it, set it back down and walked away. And I, so I, whatever, thought to pick up the book. I picked up the book and paw through it, and there's a you know like four hits of blotter jammed jammed it down in the. In, <laughs> in, like, well, so, 
what do I do with that? And so I wonder if it's the same blotter. Is, you know, he's like, Maybe. he's throwing it something. The Johnny Appleseed of LSD. Yeah. <laughs> That's too funny. Wow. It's wild. I guess it was a few years later, um, it, it, just to you know, bring it up, bring it up a notch here. Um, so y- you guys became an educational nonprofit. Uh, I had the email uh, announcing this. I think it was like November two thousand seven. It's an educational nonprofit. Um, you can kind of make nonprofits to do anything. Then you have to get the government to approve it. Yeah, you, nonprofits in the United States. The idea is you're not supposed to do things that compete with commercial activity. So you should pick some pick something that is that is not going to make anybody a lot of money and then it's reasonable once you've established once you fall into one of these groups and education is a, is a big big area that that a nonprofits can work in um that so we you know the main thing it means is that all of our finances are public and um we file these incredibly long uh, series of uh, long forms in, in in which uh every year we have to reassert that we have not violated laws in <laughs> in a hundred different ways you know have, are you sh- you know have have are you, have you ever been accused of of violating the federal law re- regarding this particular you know uh, uh paperwork the, filing or um, some, some do you know have, do you sell any boats are you sure you haven't sold any movable vehicles um you know <laughs> There's um, a lot of paperwork. It's, a, it's a lot of paperwork the, the main point is that that uh the work that we do has to be to be a nonprofit. Basically, the work that you do is supposed to be for the public benefit, and that's kind of that's kind of the the general rule. And so, and not I, and not for the private inurement of any individual or party. <laughs> right. He can quote. He can quote it. Apparently, <laughs> private inurement is bad. <laughs> right. Right. So you guys aren't, uh, you know, like you know, f- flying off to some uh, exotic vacations with all these uh, donations that are pouring in, right? That's right. That's right. We would only be allowed to do that if it were for educational purposes. <laughs> no, we'll have to have a conference. And you can't, uh, and you can't buy a boat while you're there. So. Right. And you're not allowed to sell, buy or sell, but mostly sell. You're yeah, not allowed to sell a sell, boat. It's about selling the boats. About selling. <laughs> uh, Why? We don't know. <laughs> wow. Wow. The boat lobby, I guess, is a pretty, yeah. pretty powerful influence. <laughs> Had no idea. Um, now, you know, speaking of the sort of library aspect, um, again, in the in the New Yorker article, um, I learned that uh, you were sort of planning on, I guess, opening a library, um, a two-story research library in, in the barn on your property? Well, we would like to. That's, that's, um, there, we have, we have a barn. We have a lot of library materials that yeah, so are in a, sto- that are in half in storage. I would, uh, I would say that the, we have we have been planning a physical library yeah. as part of the project for almost as long as we've been doing the pro- I mean since, since let's say late 97 or 98 and we in the last place we lived we had um we had actually set it up at like our large suburban living room we had turned into kind of this psychedelic library and um with a you know like a table kind of in, in the kind of in, in one corner of it that was a scanning set set up for our archiving work and and it was really it was really nice and it was never it was never that was never going to be a good location or a, or a nice enough building to have like people visit exactly but we worked enough towards it that we have a lot of pl- like a lot of plans about exactly what how how that would be useful to people and and what and how to inc- include that in our archiving work that we do and it would be gr- we would really like to have a space where the physical books if anyone ever needs physical books in the, again in the future um or and, and all of the papers and the scanning equipment and stuff that that we have i mean we've got these got lots of stuff and and people as they as they expire their interest or um 
or as people kind of age, you know, we are collecting more and more papers and books and things like that that need to be digitized and scanned and 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 then have somewhere to, to rest. And it's not obvious to us that Arrowwood's library would be the perfect resting place for anything um, until unless there was some physical, long-term physical location that was cool, right? That would be interesting for people to visit. And so we have now a a property that has a really, really interesting building um, that would be a really great place for such a thing, but it is um, impractically expensive to convert it into a legal, 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 <laughs> legal, legal space to, to house a library. Well, I think you'll have no problem, um, you know, finding volunteers to help, you know, to go review the material and, and scan it and, and everything and, and flip through these uh, these old books after that Mind State story of finding the uh, the four <laughs> hits. In a way. It's, like, it's like an Easter egg hunt. You bookmarks know? ever. <laughs> right. Right. Well, um, I think it's a noble, you know, project. It sounds like a really interesting sort of uh, place to, for, for people to, you know, even pilgrimage. I mean, you guys have been at this for 20 years. Um, there's a lot of followers, I'm sure, that are pretty dedicated. Um, and I noticed today, actually, that you're, um, you put a call out there for, uh, you, you know, used and new books. Uh, people can donate uh, to the cause, either to your library, uh, you know, eventually to become part of that, that sort of physical research library. Um, and also, I guess the, the ones that are duplicates would go out as membership gifts. Is that right? Yep, that's, that's, that's pretty much exactly right. We, we have currently about a 1,200 book library and then an equal quantity of, of papers, magazines, et cetera. Um, uh, so if people donate, but we get people who just send us a big box of all their books. They're like, okay, I'm clearing out my library. I don't really need my physical collection of psychedelic related books anymore. And so if we get a big box of books from somebody, we, we go through it. We, we, um, take, if we don't have a copy of the book in the Arrowwood library already, we, we take the copies and catalog them. And if you go to the Arrowwood book listing on the website, arrowwood.org slash books, I think it probably works. Um, uh, that is in fact a, a listing of all of the books that are in our library. Not including, um, not including the several cases of oh, sure. pulp of pulp 1950s and 60s weird drug porn or whatever that, <laughs> I don't even know how you describe those, like the Lurid, lurid tales, drug tales. We we have not yet cataloged all those. I haven't those. been they're, able to get myself to. It's a little, they're a little terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but if we already have copies in our library, then we then we, they, we we have a collection of books that we then list as available for membership gifts for people, and so that's very useful for us because we uh, are able to people people love getting something back, and people will donate more. And if we get free books from people that we can send out as membership gifts, then then that helps us to raise money for all the work that we do. So. Yeah, you guys have some pretty great uh, membership gifts. As I mentioned, the the mug. I don't know if you still produce that, but it's a really really cool mug. And um, I've mentioned before on the show those uh, glass molecules that I think somebody produces yeah. for you. Yeah, we we have an artist who we work with now. We've worked with several different artists over the years with those, but um, they're great. Really cool stuff. And also, um, and I would as long as we're on the topic, I would encourage listeners to uh, become a member and uh, of Arrowhead and uh, receive the really beautiful um, Arrowhead Extracts newsletter. It's a you know, physical mailing. You can get it as a PDF too, but I, I really like the physical you know, mailing. Um, it's just a really well laid out, well produced uh, newsletter and, and kind of like a relic of, of, uh, of the work you do. So I think people should sign up for that. It's, it's really neat. Well, thank you. I, 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 extracts is, Arrowhead Extracts is the name of the newsletter. Um, uh, we're just, we're on, we're on 
we're on deadline tomorrow. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> for the next for the next <laughs> issue to be um, theoretically done, although it might be next week. But yeah, yeah given given the length of this interview, which That's we right. really appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure the listeners will, uh, you know, and, and uh, members will will understand. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, on, on that note, it's it's been a really awesome uh, time chatting with you, and I really appreciate both of you that just giving so much time and and you know your generosity and speaking with us tonight. But in, in really just labor of love for the last 20 years. I mean, it's what a what a contribution to the community, and, and thank you so much for for doing it. Well, thank you guys for your work on your podcast, and uh, we're we're glad to we're glad we're glad Erwood's useful. Yeah, right. Yeah, thank you. I feel like yeah. I've been just kind of listening and taking it in and being somewhat of a laugh, a laugh track, but my face is sore because I've been smiling for the past 90 <laughs> minutes. I've enjoyed this so much. Thank you, guys. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, I, I wanted to say the same. Thank you. Thank you guys so much, uh, you know, for, for, for now, but specifically for when it was uh, of vital importance to me at, uh, you know, at the critical times. So uh, a big, big thank you and a, and a big burner hug. <laughs> and we hope to, <laughs> we hope to see you in the dust sometime. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>